Hello and welcome to Dark Concepts, a supernatural horror podcast written and read by me, Brian J. Cummings. So today's episode is definitely going to be one of my darker ones. Uh, it's short, but it doesn't take away from how messed up it is. So uh, with that, let's get into it. The arrival of strange wreaths the day before the grisly murders of a neighboring home set Robert Delaney on edge. It was just the beginning of the horrors to be bestowed this holiday season. Meadowsweet Robert Delaney stared at the strange wreath as a forensic team member pulled it away from his front door. It had been hung there by an iron nail hammered right above the glass, nearly ruining the $7,000 door. The wreath itself didn't look anything out of the ordinary. Robert recognized the green twigs and the tiny white flowers of the meadowsweet herb, sometimes used in wreaths. Twelve houses on his upscale neighborhood received the same wreaths nailed to their doors, and last night, the McCluskeys across the street were killed in their beds. The police didn't go into the details of their murders, but from what Robert overheard, it sounded like a locked room affair. All doors and windows were locked, no evidence other than the condition of the bodies, none of which woke up at the time of the murder. The thought of sleeping through a home invasion so close sent icy tingles down Robert's spine. Our investigation uncovered something that may be of immense importance here, Mr. Delaney, Detective Sarah Lockley said, attempting to finish her questioning of the befuddled older man. We have just learned that all 12 houses with the Meadowsweet wreaths are involved with a funding effort and helped run the campaign for the recently elected Mayor Hargrove. Understanding this may help pinpoint the culprit, and honestly, this is starting to look like a possible eco-terrorist attack rather than just a straightforward murder. You all will be placed under surveillance, and will be in touch with any further developments. Robert thanked Detective Lockley and closed the door after everyone packed up and left. Soon he found himself alone, save for the single patrol car sitting outside the residence. The snow had already begun to melt away in some spots, revealing a patchwork quilt of muddy snow and dead grass. They had said there were no footprints leading up to the McCluskey's house. Robert's thoughts drifted to that of the eco-terrorist theory. If someone was upset with Paul Hargrove, it would have to be over the patch of formerly protected forest he had ordered to be torn down to make way for the new Pleasantry corporate office. If that were the case, why not go after Paul, or better yet, the company he hired to take down the forest? And why the Meadowsweet wreaths? Why go through all this trouble? The site of the investment firm's new office was a boon for the city primarily because the 12 investors practically sat on the board of the company and knew that putting the office there would be less travel time for them. It would bring jobs, sure, but it wasn't what it was about. At the end of the day, if it got the 12 of them more money, that was all that mattered. But now there were only 11 remaining. That was going to shake things up during their next board meeting. Robert couldn't wait until the police called whoever killed the McCluskeys. He had no doubt that they would. They always did when it came to those who brought money into town. Robert went on with the rest of his day, even leaving the house to go get Christmas presents for his nieces and nephews. When he stepped outside his front door, he couldn't help but turn and look at the neat little hole above the window where the Meadowsweet wreath had been hung with a square nail. He found it strange as most nails hadn't been made with square heads for the last hundred years or so. And though he didn't know why, Robert felt himself shiver despite the expensive coat swaddling him from the winter chill. 
Robert had always adored Christmas. Though he had never married and lived alone, he loved giving gifts to his nieces and nephews. He would still get a Christmas tree every year and put it up in the same exact place his parents kept it when he had lived in the house decades earlier. Later that night, he sat in the armchair by a roaring fire. He gazed up at the tree now alight with twinkling white lights, crowded at the bottom with presents. He was spoiling his brother's kids. He had to do something because he didn't have any kids of his own to spoil. As he sat there, drinking a glass of scotch, he swore he heard something coming from down the hallway near the bedrooms. He leaned forward, his peaceful fireside reverie replaced with a sudden sharp pang of alarm. Was it the murderer? Hello? He called out into the darkness. He put down a scotch on a small table beside his chair and got up. He walked around the Christmas tree and switched on the hallway light. Hello? He tried again, but heard nothing in reply. A small click from behind startled him, and he watched the needle lowering on his broken antique record player. With a crackle, the needle landed on a record he didn't remember putting there, and soon, the sound of Perry Como singing The Twelve Days of Christmas came over the gramophone in a tinny faraway murmur. What the hell? He swore, walking across the room and pulling the needle off. He killed the power and listened intently. The only sound was the fire still crackling across the room. It had started to snow again, the large flakes hitting the window silently as they fell outside. The air had, despite the roaring fireplace, gone to a degree of cold that didn't seem possible. He glanced over at his thermostat on the wall and saw that it had dropped to nearly 48 degrees and was steadily falling. The fire had begun to flicker and die down until the only thing that remained were the charred embers laying beneath. It was as though the fire itself was now hiding from something. Something that Robert could almost feel in the room. The lights on the Christmas tree flickered and went out, leaving Robert in what felt like an icy tomb. It was then that he saw in the corner of this living room a tall, bushy figure. It was somehow taller than his eight-foot tree head tilted down slightly to avoid hitting the ceiling. Dread filled his heart as it began to pulse loud and rabbit fast in his ears. What? On the second day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. The figure boomed in a loud guttural roar as it darted towards Robert. It was at that time, in the icy cold darkness of his living room, that a sudden sharp twang of pain erupted in his chest and left arm and he fell to the ground. As he died, the last thing he could hear was the booming laughter as the creature's massive hands gripped his head and gave it a sudden, sickening yank. Robert was only dimly aware of the terrible pain in his head being wrenched from his spinal column. The police found Robert the next day, his body mangled to a mass of broken bones and blood his head perched sickeningly on top of the tree, replacing the angel, which had been thrown unceremoniously into the fireplace. It baffled the police. Who could possibly commit such an act? The strength required to wrench a skull from a spine like that was impossible by human standards. As the days went on, police continued to be called out to the houses in the neighborhood. And the more and more perplexed they became as the murders kept coming in strange and unimaginably horrid ways. On the eleventh day, the victim's intestines were ripped out and hung with the Christmas lights outside. 
the bright and cherry white bulbs stained red with blood. The creature, who remains nameless, at least to those denizens of the living world, began to enjoy watching the police from its hiding place behind the veil as they squabbled amongst each other. It particularly enjoyed the initial look of horror on every officer's face as they witnessed its handiwork for the first time. At last, the twelfth night came, and the true enemy of the season was to be dealt with. Mayor Paul Hargrove. His skin had been flayed and used to wrap the boxes beneath the tree, which were later discovered to be packed with his organs. The creature left the town, and moving with the winds, found a new forest. But it realized what power it had over the living. It had tasted blood and was looking forward to the next Christmas season. Be wary of what forest one decides to cut down. Most hold innocent creatures and harmless sprites, but some hold long-forgotten monsters, and the forest contain them beyond the veil. Once their home is disturbed, their ward is broken, and they have free reign upon this unsuspecting world. Like I said, short and just fucked up. So for a bit of a palate cleanser, I have a true story to tell. Um, not sure if it actually is a palate cleanser, but we're going to treat it like one. We're just going to pretend. Anyway, um, this took place on the farm where I half grew up. I say half because I was 12 when we moved there. And I mean, the place was just riddled with crazy. So yeah, um, I think we were about 15 or 16 at the time. And I had two of my best friends over spending the night. And my parents, to keep us noisy-ass teenagers out of the house, they rigged up a camper outside with uh, power, which is fucking awesome. But uh, yeah, so we can just kind of hang out outside and not wake anyone up, which was great. Um, so the three of us were out there, and my one friend has to use the bathroom. And it's like one in the morning at this time. So, I mean, there's no bathroom in the camper, there's no running water. So he's like, okay, I'm going to go inside. We're like, cool, you know. Um, evidently, that wasn't happening because my parents locked the door and everyone's asleep. And if you, uh, if you saw this place, you'd probably lock the door at night too, even though we were out in the middle of fucking nowhere. Which is saying something because Delaware is like three feet wide. So it was southern Delaware, so maybe five feet. Anyway, uh... So he had a little bit of a conundrum because he had to go number two and there was only one other option, which was the bathroom in the barn. So the barn is at the end of our long ass driveway and it's dark as fuck. And the barn used to be, it was actually a veil barn, veal barn, veal, veil. I can't fucking talk. Anyway, it's huge. It's empty. It's dark. Um, I've heard disembodied screams in there and also chased a shadow kid thinking it was my brother. That's a whole other story. The barn gave everyone the creeps. So my friend's all like, fuck. He trudges up there by himself while me and my other friend just keep playing N64. Which I think at the time we were probably playing F-Zero. Anyway, uh, he's up there and two of us are just 
just keep playing. But uh, at some point I do stop and go outside. I don't know if it's like been a minute and I'm like, where the fuck is this dude? So I vividly remember watching this motherfucker running up the driveway, (laughs) pulling his pants up and just freaking the fuck out. And my initial thought is, what the fuck is going on now? (laughs) Just this place is just insane. So uh, through panic breath, he begins explaining how he was just, you know, doing the thing. And he's like in the bathroom and it's dark because there's a big ass window right beside the toilet. And you got the open woods right there and there's no fucking curtain on the window. So it's kind of like, okay. So he's sitting there in the quiet. In the dark. And all of a sudden these loud ass bangs come from overhead. So he's all like, what the fuck? And whatever it is ends up right over top of him. And it's on the roof. He says he watched this massive, dark, dog-like figure land in front of the window and just blast off through across the horse pasture and just, like, barrel into the woods. And there's a horse fence, like, right before the woods. And he's, it just cleared right over it like it wasn't even there. But he also admits he didn't get a very good look at it. But he did emphasize the whole dog-like image. And, I mean, he didn't get a good look at it, and who the fuck would in that situation, because motherfuck that shit. And I, of course, believe him immediately. If you've ever experienced this place, you probably would too. (laughs) But uh, my other best friend was like, nah, you're fucking full of shit. He said if it was anything, it was probably a person, which, I mean, it very well could have been. But that doesn't Honestly, it doesn't make the situation any better. I mean, we were in a brightly lit camper in the middle of, like, nowhere, surrounded by woods. So, I mean, needless to say, we didn't sleep that night. I didn't sleep well that night. We probably didn't sleep at all because we were playing video games. So I guess the moral of both of these stories is don't fuck with the trees. Because uh, demon werewolves and homicidal loraxes are not fucking cool man they're just not cool and with that thank you so much for listening if you enjoyed what you heard leave a like a rating a review and subscribe if you so desire uh my posting schedule has been kind of fucking up in the air lately so uh, just bear with me either way i have plenty of episodes coming your way so I shall return very soon here with another tale channeled from the darkness of the witching hour. So keep a candle nearby because you never know when the lights will go out. He sat there drinking a butt of whatever the fuck that is.